So this really is a fantasy world, isn't it? Sounds like the split rock. <laughs> <laughs> that was cold. I like it. Well, somebody had to say it. Might as well be me. <laughs> Did I tell you how many acres of carrots? <laughs> Bottle of water. He's going to get Ensign Morgan. It's called day drinking, Joe. You guys are making the outtakes too easy today. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gazier and Ken Zeska. This episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast is brought to you by Two Trash Bag Twist Ties. Are you happy with your current model train packaging? Do you feel better knowing your prized engine is secure in five levels of protection? Are you comfortable knowing a Sherman tank could run over that Bowser or Rapido box and not one detail will fall off? Well, that's nothing. What really secures trains is Two Trash Bag Twist Ties. Yes, old Irv Athern used a cardboard box for outer protection and secured your prize engine in a cardboard insert with two trash bag twist ties. Irv didn't need any fancy plastic shell, no screws to secure those engines, no foam padding, no form-fitting injection-molded precise clear plastic to keep that F7 in place. Just two trash bag twist ties were all that was needed. These twist ties worked for over 40 years. Heck, some can still be found at local train shows as forlorn sellers try to get someone to buy that GP9 or GP7 or whatever it was, still in the original box. So don't worry about all the fancy packaging you have to save once you take out your 47th Heritage Unit out of the box. You can always store it in a cardboard box secured by two plastic twist ties. Two plastic twist ties are only available in white. Plastic twist ties are a wholly owned subsidiary of Gruesome Casket Company, LLC. Welcome to another episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Joe Binish. Hello. Ken Borowski. Hello. Mike Jordan. Hello. And I'm your referee, Thomas Gazier. And today we're going to talk about what would you do different if you came down to your layout room and it was completely empty and you had the money and the time to totally redo it, what would you do differently? And I'll start with you, Joe. Where would the uh, central of Minnesota end up? Oh, I'm, I might have to change to the Lehigh in New England or the Baltimore in Ohio. Oh, wait, sorry. That's not in the rules. It is um, in the rules. No, you, you <laughs> change the prototype. I mean, that's someone like me is tired of a railroad of lies. You know, I'm like, no, if you want to change prototypes, what would you do? Would you go to those? I think so. I think I might do the Lehigh, New England, you know, get rid of all my, not all of, but a, a good part of my Midwestern cars and, and buy a whole bunch of cement hoppers and, and model that for whatever reason, you know, you can kind of go from Maybrook Yard south, and that's where they interchanged at Poughkeepsie with the um, Boston and Maine and the New, New Haven and that kind of stuff, and got up to, it was kind of a bridge route, all kinds of cool things. Who doesn't like Alco FA1s and RS2s, right? Um, no one. 
They're Elkos, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. So that's what I might do. But, you know, that's a lot of resin kits. Oh, darn. Darn. And a lot of cabooses <laughs> I'd have to build. So And painting and decaling right up there. So Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Mike Jordan. We'll go to Mike here. Mike Jordan, what would you do initially different? I think I'd keep the same railroad, but I've learned so much more about how it operates that it'd be nice to just start over. Right now, my railroad staging is on the lower level and the actual railroad operates on the upper level. In reality, the Santa Maria Valley was on the low end. So on both sides, the railroad went down and then came back up. So I'd put the staging higher and make my interchange at the low point because in reality, occasionally, the through freights would have to have pushers. So I think it'd be fun to have a chance to add pushers to the long freights and push them up the hill. Yeah, that is an interesting operation. And Mr. Borowski, what would you change about the wonderful Clinchfield Blue Ridge Division? Well, if I was going to change and still model the Clinchfield or change and just go with something whole new if I was starting from scratch... I guess your choice, your choice. If I started from, from a scratch right now, if I didn't have nothing in my basement and I was just getting into railroading, I would probably do a short line because I live just like across the street from the, from the, from the progressive rail tracks. So I would try and model something that's more current. So I could actually go out there and physically take pictures of stuff that's current, you know, you know, basically model, you know, current day stuff. And I'd probably do it in an HO scale versus N scale that I've got now. Not that there's anything wrong with N scale, but I just like all the extra little detail stuff you can put on a lot of the locomotives and stuff that I've seen recently. It's just kind of a neat thing. Yeah, it'd be neat to model something present day where you can go out and actually see it, where it's not like across the country where you've got to make a trip, something local to where, you know, where I live. I can go out the door and follow it every day or chase it or take pictures or meet the, you know, talk to the people that work there. And, you know, more of a modern day, present day type of an operation, I think, is what I would do if I was starting from scratch. If I was changing what I've got in the basement, I'd probably do more of a longer run along the loops that I model because I'm out of the south end of the Quinsfield. And I, and I really like the longer runs with, you know, watching the train snake through a longer Area of a scenic part of a layout, like Mike said, too, with the pushers. The pushers is a neat thing. And, you know, just more open running, which I've got some on there, but I like to, it would be nice to have more. More of the layout double-decked with longer single-track runs through the through the mountains, I guess, would be something yeah. I'd, I'd add on more of that. Yeah, that'd be a real pretty. Pusher operation is is kind of sexy. <laughs> you get a lot of railroads and stuff. But you brought up research, and I'll go back to Joe and – I also like the idea of going current or nearly current so you can find things. Would going back to Lehigh, New England or Baltimore, Ohio days, would your research be a hindrance to that, Joe, or is there enough available in those uh, groups? I think that there's probably enough available. There are two pretty good books out on the LNNE that I have both of them, and you know, one of them is just full of really nice, nice color photos. I haven't in my head figured out a lot of the, you know, where that fits in in the map of the railroad. And so, you know, I just haven't taken the time to do that, but that information exists. And there's um, flags, diamonds and statues is the magazine for the anthracite historical society. And that has lots of good information in it. 
And the, the Baltimore and Ohio, I mean, that's the coolest railroad period, right? It's the first one. There's lots of information out there about that. And they have that wonderful museum in, is it Baltimore, I think, where it's that round, round house with the roof over it. There's information. That is an advantage to modeling a popular prototype, you know, Pennsylvania being oh Santa Fe. So Mike, Ken mentioned even might even a change of scales. Would scales change come into factor with you at all? Would you want to go to S or O scale, something bigger? You know, my room is 12 by 20. HO is perfect for the size and it's a branch line with switching. And that's what I like to do is to switch. So I'm comfortable with HO. As I age and my eyes get older, you know, the bigger the scale sometimes is uh, probably better. But then the rivet counters can actually see the rivets at a larger scale. So Stupid rivet counters. There's trade-offs. <laughs> we're, we're, we're looking anyway, Mike, whether we see them yeah. or not, we're looking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bad at math, so I could never be one. So How about you, Tom? How would you change what you do or would you keep the ore industry? I do like the ore industry. And I think about this many times. If I changed anything, it, I would probably change, you know, I have extra space in my basement. I might make it a little larger to accommodate better curves. You know, I like my story. I like how it operates. I like the space. I change it so everybody's not standing next to each other. But I also think about if I had a clean slate, I would like to build a layout. This is, it might seem odd, but a layout for social media where you see some of these modelers and they can go live on their layouts and they, you can rail fan them with them on a Friday or Saturday night. And I thought it'd be interesting just to build a section of a place in the country like Dale Junction, Union Pacific, or even Dayton's Bluff and just have a huge staging yard. And then have, we're going to have a live stream. It's 1968. And the Empire Builder and the Zephyrs and the Hiawathas are all going by. Or it's, you know, 1970 and all the BN trains are Rock Island. Yeah, those things are out there that I've thought about to make my life simpler or just more involved. You also talked about equipment. And I'm going to go to Ken. Is there equipment out there for the progressive rail? I know we're all jealous of Dan Dosa. He models a 20-mile short line, and they've made every engine <laughs> that they've ever pretty much ever come out with. So yeah. like, changing it, like Joe talked about the FA2, is, is there equipment for the progressive rail? You can get the right types of engines and stuff. I don't know if they, if a manufacturer makes one in their current in their in their paint jobs, but they do do have a lot of different lease engines and stuff. So there's a lot of lease engines that manufacturers make. So that's a doable doable thing. You know, even if you had to paint it and decal it yourself, that's that's not a problem. But you know, the main thing is they do make all the different types of motive power they have. So that is a is a doable option. Okay. So you can you can get yeah. the power and all the modern things for the interchange with the Union yeah. Pacific and things like that. Another thing too would be operations. All of you use some form of car card and waybill. Is there anything you would change about that? Joe, would you switch to something JMRI, switchless driven, or caveman pins on the car? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, not colored pins. No, no, no. Colored I, have, pins. I have stayed. So my friend Scott Thompson, who, go figure, is modeling a great Northern Oh, no. Um, it's <laughs> superior. 
It's Superior, Wisconsin, and he's modeling the 17th Street and 28th Street yards, if I remember correctly. But he's using the route cards. His story is that as the train pulls into the yard, there's a clerk out there, and he's got either a switch list, probably the switch list, and he's tacking those route cards onto the tack boards on the cars. And as an operator, you're getting essentially getting those route cards and that's how you do your your sorting and your setouts and we've operated once there were just two of us and scott was there taking notes and trying to figure out what he wanted to change and that stuff but for his next session he's going to have four because i talked him into making the ice house and freight house parts of a, a separate job and so we'll you use those to, to sort the cars and I thought that was really interesting and really fun. Kind of get rid of the switch list and the car card, and you just use these little uh, route cards. So I thought it was really cool. So I might try that. Yeah, that's kind of unique. And Mike, would you switch? I mean, I, I really like your punch system, but would you switch to mm-hmm. something cool. else? You know, I think the only thing I would do is trying to make my car card waybills look a little professional. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're antiquated. I was looking at them just a little the other day and thinking I, I should reprint all the car cards and all the waybills, And then I realized the daunting task that that entails. I uh, keep track of movements of refrigerator cars with a single use card and then punch to track one movement to the next. It's sometimes a little awkward and I got rid of it. I went to car card waybill and inserts. I started to smell hot tar and nervous chickens. <laughs> so uh, I was <laughs> I was forced to go back to the punch because it's just the tactile of punching that card was so satisfying with the operators. So well, I'd like to collect them and give them to you at the end of the session if I do that. <laughs> well, that, I can glue them back in and reuse the cards. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, you know. Recycling is key here. Yeah. Well, you now you said upgrade them more professional. I mean, you're not Dave Voss. Your car cards aren't on wood yet, so. <laughs> no, no, his is clay tablets. His is clay, <laughs> yeah. carved carved in hieroglyphics. Uniform. We love you, Dave. We love you. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so, what would be more? I mean, are most of them handwritten? Would you want a photo on the car cards? I've seen that. You know, they're Excel-based. I write in the car number, and then for the waybill, it's just handwritten. And I would probably change the Excel spreadsheet so I could just type those in, print them off on a little heavier stock uh, so that they'd wear better. You know, the other, other, other side of the coin is, you know, Tony Thompson – Oh, He's no. done 110 blogs on car cards. I mean, whoa. <laughs> you know, I, my car cards, they go north or south. So they're green or red. That's it. You know, poor agent at, at the office doesn't need to know any more than that. Mike, if I may be the voice of reason here, I tried to. <laughs> oh, Since good. when? Yeah, Holy crap, this yeah. bar is dropped yeah. low. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's enough on I you. tried doing that with my car, my Ship It uh, car cards program, and I went through and redid all of my car cards and vowed not to make any mistakes. 
I believe it was worse the second time around than doing the, doing them the first time. <laughs> so, and now the computer burped and lost all the data. So if I want to redo it, I have to re-enter everything. Oh. So I'm thinking of going to, you know, like I said, pins on top of cars or something. <laughs> yeah, like well, it sounds like you yeah. both need a work night with some Ensign Morgan and good friends will come over and start <laughs> typing in that Excel spreadsheet. Well, that, that's why I'm if in I could a, find some. That's yeah. why I'm in so much trouble. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. of the Ensign Morgan. Yeah. You can't be drinking while Excel spreadsheet. Ken, what would you upgrade? Do you like the car cards? They seem to be working wonderfully for the clinch. Yeah. Yeah, I like the car cards. Uh, just like Mike, my cars either go one direction or the other, north or south, and or they stop somewhere in between for for one of the local trains. So they're you know pretty easy to understand and how to route them. Easy to change, you know, easy to handle. Put them in your pocket while you're operating, and if something gets out of out of place, it's it's uh, simple to find it and uh, connect it back up with the car or vice vice versa. The only issue is don't drop them. Usually you only do that once in your life because you swear you'll never do it again. <laughs> what? You got to get them back in the order. But uh, other than that, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they work good. Can you, can, for the N-scale cars, can you put the the number in big letters and numbers on top of the car so we can see them? <laughs> you could get better glasses too, you cheap guy. <laughs> oh. No, my wife won't pay for those I know, either. I know. But Ken, <laughs> you've operated lots of layouts. Ken, have, have you seen any, how would I say, some adaptations you'd want to adapt to yours? I mean, I've seen some stuff that are nice. It's something I wouldn't take the time to do on mine because mine's pretty much already been, you know, done. And like people have said, you know, why do you want to go back and redo all your car cards again? Somebody starting now, like a friend of ours, Damien, he just recently made up his car cards and he's got a photo of the car on the car card, which helps, you know, when you're looking at a whole row of cars, it helps you pick it out pretty easily, but uh, they're all or cars. Uh, well, like you're saying for like the, you know, uh, the car numbers on the card, if you, if you, if you keep the cars in the order, you're not really having to look at the car numbers per se on a lot of the cars. Cause every car isn't, I mean, if you've got an ore train or a coal train or something, that's going to be a, be a unit mine block or something. So, so it's going to be one card for the whole train. You know, all the other cars, they're all different railroads and stuff. So you're just looking for that railroad car. So it's not as hard as as you would think trying to pick out an N-scale car out of a group of cars. Cause, uh, yeah, N-scale cars jump right out from an S-scale train. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, well uh, some guys are easier to find because they're the ones you just knocked on the floor, too. So that's just picked the one. Yeah, on that's the floor. right. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's the oh, one look. I was looking for. Oh. Pay no attention, or like Mike Jordan. Mike, didn't you have the one where you had a, a car at an industry, but there was no car card for it, and it sat there for how long? I was. Gonna, I'm, I'm thinking it probably sat there a year. It, it <laughs> in was, real time. In real, in real time. time, yeah, it was stuck uh, back in the corner where it wasn't that visible. I was matching car cards to cars. There was an odd situation, I, and the spider webs, uh, you know. <laughs> so you upset the locals by moving. That is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had the same situation, and I picked up a car and I turned it over, and here's this creature staring back at me, <laughs> and I had to shake him into the trash. He did not want to get off the bottom of the car. That's the advantage of being a river counter is you get all kinds of structure underneath the cars for the spiders to live on. <laughs> You're a giver, Joe. You're just a giver. Uh, exactly. 
That's what I like to hear. So <laughs> would the availability of some of these newer models uh, maybe affect your choice? I've looked at that. Before the split rock, I was modeling the Canadian National up in Thunder Bay. And there was, at that time, there was, you know, late 90s, no Canadian National engines unless they were brass. You couldn't even think. I bought brass GMD1s trying to remotor them. And now with wonderful manufacturers like Rapido and Intermountain and everybody, the you know, everything's available. And the same with the Southern Pacific. I look at Mike's layout, like the modern Southern Pacific. You can get these beautiful tunnel motors, G40s, anything. Does that, does that affect, you know, your choices that you look at? You know, now all this LN&E, uh, Baltimore, Ohio equipment is available, already painted. Would that affect you, Joe, the equipment coming out? Yeah, Gale Model Supplies in, in St. Paul here has the one of the original Proto 2000 FA1 sets from, you know, 20 years ago. And there's a lot of work that has to go on there. But if you go down and look at that box, there's a lot of drool stains on there for me. And, you know, <laughs> Rapido is coming out with them and they're beautiful, you know, uh, and it's just, you know, stay focused, stay on target. I'm not ready to switch yet. Plus, I think Mrs. Binish might have something to say if I told her I was, oh, you know, I'm going to get rid of all this stuff and sell, and you need to finance my switch over at 300 bucks a pop. You guys would probably hear the pain out of my voice when I do. <laughs> I don't think that Rapido one, though, has a, a rubber band-driven fan. So, you know, that Yeah, <laughs> that 20-year-old yeah, yeah. Proto's got some... <laughs> it's got some, some uh, cachet It's got it. some cachet That was only the FA2. Was that, oh, was yeah. that was only on the FA2 with the, the motorized right, right. fan was just classic. That's... That's what got me back into model trains. Not the fan, but that uh, FA2 from Baltimore, Ohio, 1992, got me back into trains. I, I, so. I wanted one just for the fan, just to point. Hey, look. Well, <laughs> I think I have some of those if you want one. I think the grills on the side even moved or something. It was just. Oh, that was horrible. Oh, state yeah. of the art at that time. <laughs> Ken? You know, 25 years ago when I started modeling the Clinchfield, they didn't make half the equipment that they had. So I was using GP50s in place of GP38s and SD45s in place of SD, you know, because you can only buy what was close to what you needed. And I, and I painted up in the Clinchfield colors and I used those for a lot of years until finally manufacturers started making the right stuff. And I, you know, threw those off the layout. But uh, but this kind of leads to another topic, I guess, with all the beautiful engines that you can buy now from like scale trains. I mean, I was over at the HO Fremo layout at the mall a couple of days ago, and, um, and I'm looking at this uh, Milwaukee Road, I think it was an SD39 maybe or something like that. I don't yeah. know, but it's got... It's got the class lights on the on the nose, you know, green and red or white. You can change those. It's got all the little lights for the steps on it. It's got the, you know, all these little details on there that come on the model. And then, you know, when you start to think, okay, so you, you know, like in uh, my case, you know, N scale, you buy an N scale engine. You know, you've got to put the wipers on there. The you know all the little details, the hoses, the mirrors, and all this stuff. So, like, at what point do you say you're a model railroader, or you're a guy that bought a model and you run it on your railroad because you're buying it all done already, or do you want to take the time and do all that that detail work and things like that? You know, the modeling aspect of it versus the just yeah. buy it out of the box and run it on your on your layout type of thing. But that's a whole other topic. But that's Something that uh, people people nowadays, that's, you know, it's great that you can buy that stuff now and kind of skip all that extra work and running around. Oh, shoot, I need another hose. I got to run to the hobby store and find another <laughs> air hose or whatever, you know, 
you know, nowadays it just comes on the models and that. It's just, you know, so much nicer to model things, but it's even better when you're in larger scales because you see all that extra detail on there that in the other scales, you got to put that all on there. Yeah. Uh-oh. You need the shrinkomatic ray to take that HO scale <laughs> down. Yeah. And I think, I think like Mike, I think Mike's still running some really dedicated blue box engines that are. So, Mike, the new equipment, I know we're still missing the 70 tonner in my C415, but hopefully soon. But would the, would the new equipment affect you? I mean, would you like newer SP stuff or steamers so you can do the pushers? I did get rid of my blue box Athern Jeep 9s and uh, got the Athern Genesis Jeep 9s. When you're in a different room, they look the same, but when you put them side by side, you know, that detail really snaps. It's just more crisp and they operate so much nicer than the original blue box. I did just in the last year start trading off my $25 used flea market locomotives for brand new out of the box locomotives. So you tend to put up with a lot of stuff because you don't know any better. But then when you put a new locomotive and an old locomotive side by side, you can't wait to trade up what I've been going through. Are you slowly trading up on the, uh, the reefer car fleet too? When you can, when it's, you know. Yeah, you know, yes and no. I mean, you know, if you take a look at, I think I got 100 reefer cars and get that ready, ready to run tight box car, you know, and it starts to add up. Plus, I'm an operator. I don't want to be worried about some goober touching my car because if it's a blue box, I... I'm out a buck and a quarter. You know, <laughs> That's for the couplers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, they know. Oh, here we go. Here <laughs> the we jug go. Heads. Speaking for the jug heads. Yeah, right. Well, I operate, you know, the, the detailed cars or whatever, the higher end cars, but I'm willing to do a, a rip track every once in a while. You know, I accumulate X number of parts and then I go find the cars and, stick them back on because i like the look of the newer cars but you're right it it doesn't that that, that's a a personal affliction you know you can operate just fine with you know a a square block of wood painted orange with you know red end of the roofs and you're fine you know that's just that's kind of the level you want to go at if if you choose to right well then that's a good point in operations and modeling if you're into operations, you can do both. Yeah, right, right. So I know some guy that gets off on building resin cars. and uh, Yeah, he's an idiot. And that's, <laughs> you know, part of the hobby. And Yep, yep. Then, I was over at Scott Thompson's last night. We did a work session. And he j- took out of his storage bins about 20 new cars to, you know, expand the operations a little bit. And every one of them is gorgeous and weathered and detailed and all that kind of stuff. He says, Oh, I've got to add this and this on there. I'm like, okay, cool. I like the cut levers, but I don't know if I'm going to do the little release lever that hangs below the car that goes to the AB valve. I'm just not going to do the, go to that level. And, and most of my cars, when I build them, I don't put the train line on because it's tucked up so tight against the bottom of the underframe. The only way you see it is if you tip the car over and that's expressly forbidden. <laughs> so, 
So next time we all go to Joe's, turn it over. Go. You're missing a part here. <laughs> you're, missing, you're not getting maximum points for this. We're one. leaving. Yeah. So that <laughs> that that bus goes to everybody's layout. Yes. Yes, it yes, does. Right. The bus all stops. Well, here's what I think we should do: is we've all talked about you know what we do different. I think we just you know I've got a corded sawzall, and they make you know, cordless battery powered sawzalls, we just go and start hacking and we can all talk about building our new layout. <laughs> yeah. We'll start yeah. at yours. Okay. <laughs> right after the holidays. We'll just start right over there. There yeah. you go. So also with, <laughs> let's go scenery. So looking at what you guys, what you, you guys have built with scenery. Now there's so many newer methods. And I, you know, I look at my own layout and there's five or six different upgrades on this one. Ken, would you change uh, from the original, I, I don't want to corner you into this, but puffball lookers that served well for the Clinchfield? Um, well, not even the puffball, but just the fact that you model an area that's got trees. You know, you can make them however you want, but just like a you know, eastern part of the country, wooded scene. If I was modeling Mojave, I would have saved about <laughs> 15 years of modeling because I didn't have right. to model all those trees. Yeah. So, I always think you know, of that too. You know, obviously there's still modeling involved. There's still a lot of detail in desert scenery and stuff, but you're not having to make all, you know, 25,000 trees. You have to look at that too. If you know, like your age and stuff, if you're getting into it as an older person, do you want to take all your time up making trees or do you want to model an area where the scenery is easier to, you know, complete? It's not going to take as many years to complete a scene. So that's, you know, something to think about, too, if you're getting into a new new layout or, you know, you know, or changing to a different part of the country. How hard is it going to be me to finish this with the type of scenes that I have to do? Right. So Right. You know, the attraction of the Southern Pacific in Oregon. If I modeled that, I'd be I'd be long dead before the last tree needed for that layout would be on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so. so Mike, what would, would you go with the, some new methods on your on the Santa Maria? My railroad is 25 years old, and uh, so I'm slowly redoing the railroad a little bit at a time. I'm redoing my trees, my scenery. Someone gave me a bunch of palm trees that kind of forced me to rethink some of my scenes. You can just kind of slowly involve your scenery. I was really interested in just getting the railroad done so I could operate knowing that I could always improve the scenery later. That's what I'm doing. Joe, what would you change about your structure methods? You have mostly urban urban layout setting. What I'd really like to do is the improvement would be to actually get some built. <laughs> so I'm, I'm accepting donations. Need- um, I'll send you pictures of what I want, and you guys can build them. Do you have any trees on your layout? There are lots of trees, and my trees are all the... Um, <laughs> The scenic, the scenic Express ones with the armature, and then the most recent ones are I've actually used the little individual little leaves that just you know spritz the armature with uh, hairspray, and then drop these things on there and okay. do different colors and all that kind of stuff. So, I you know I've got the real high end ha ha trees. Uh, you know they're fun to make, but my God, there's after a couple of days in the garage building these, I'm very glad if I don't model the Baltimore ha. Yeah, because there are lots of trees there too, like the clinch. Oh, yeah. So I was going to ask you, can you have that kind of tree on your layout, or is it most, or are they the puffball type, or what do you? How, what's your method? I guess is the question I'm asking. Well, mine have evolved from when I first started making them 
to kind of how I do them now. If you look at my layout, when you come right down the steps to the right side was the original place where I started doing them. So those are more puffball looking. I didn't really make them puff like puff balls, but they have that that you know just for a, um, a comparison sake, let's call them puff balls in that area. As I evolved around the layout, you can tell that the, the shapes and the sizes and how I did it has changed. Where now they're more. I mean, it's kind of the same method we're using, the polyfiber and the in the spray and you sprinkle on whatever type of what and scenics colors you want. But it's not really a ball. It's more of just almost a just a blob stretched out in all different directions where it's not even round. It's just a you know generic shape that you just stretch all different ways, or else you can even put an armature under some of them or have on the forward scenes of the layout where so that you can see the tree branches and structure of the tree, you know. So it's not like a ball, it's more just maybe like a blob, I guess you could call it, or just a shape. So so that has evolved over the years. And then originally I started using like sedum stems and, you know, worked off of that. And so, you know, it's just like anything else as your skills evolve and you see other things and methods. Because, you know, back then, 25 years ago, when I started to make those, super trees wasn't around then. There was no other option. This is the way you looked at any book or any video, this is how everybody's making trees. This is how you did. And then it, you know, gradually evolved. Just like anything, you know, you kind of change with the times, you know, which is why it's kind of nice right now. There's just so many new types of scenery materials out there. It's kind of a great time to get into the hobby right now. Yeah. And, and there's really no excuse not to, and I'm, I'm this is going to sound harsh, but my gosh, get out there and try something, you know, and, and mother nature is not perfect. So they're, you know, your early ones that are not as good as they may be in the end, you put towards the back and they're going to look fine. You know, if you're thinking about scenery, boy, get out there and try it. There's lots of... So one thing, Tom, I've noticed on your railroad is that you create miniature vignettes and detail them perfectly. So... Wow, here's a big suck-up coming here. Yeah. (laughs) It's my my birthday. He has to be nice. Yeah. Don't say the quiet part out loud. But, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, the big but. Uh, so that's the thing with modeling is you, uh, you know, as you create these vignettes, then the earlier scenery that you've done kind of goes into the background and people concentrate on these vignettes. So you don't have to do every tree perfectly. You know, you just get people to focus on a certain point and the rest just blends into the background. And I, I've noticed that you're slowly doing that on your rear. Thank you, Mike. I got to look up what vignette means, but thanks. So. <laughs> well, that's another word for That's a big word for grog, the ore hauler here. But yeah, thank you, it Mike. distracts from the pins ah, in your you ore cars. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing Ouch. distracts from the pins. What are the balls for? And then, I'd, you know, I could go different ways. You, you'd ask, nah. what, <laughs> you'd ask what we'd change, and then I it dawned on me. Greg Dahl, his pet peeve is is the building big enough to accept a carload of whatever. You know, I think that'd be one thing I'd change is making the buildings more scale size. Would you try and incorporate more of like the sugar beet operations into your obsessions? Yes. Like I said, my room is 12 by 20. I could just model a sugar beet factory in that space and 
keep three or four people busy. So right, right. It's, it's yeah. like it's like a separate railroad within your railroad. Yeah, it could be. You have to compress it and hope everybody has fun. Yeah, but I think what you said about my layout, I believe that's when you go forward. Like if I'm going to start over, I'm going to learn to have people focus on this. I'm going to learn to have like Ken. When you walk in the door, there's your signature scene. You have something like that and then say, here's where I want everybody's eyes focused. How do I light it? How do I detail it? How do I do this so no one sees what's going on behind the, the Wizard of Oz curtain? So you're putting in the smoke in the smoke smoke yeah. machine and a bunch of mirrors is what you're saying. Right. That's more smoke, <laughs> I think. <laughs> no, I think that you've got it right, though. When people come down the steps, they see where all your little stickers are, and there's that central Minnesota sticker, and that's what the important thing is. Is that what that pink one is that's on the wall down there? Okay. that It's plum, sir, plum. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I want to go back to what Ken said. We talked about taking models out of the box. I'll just touch on it, because I still see in some of the groups that I follow, there is joy in taking, let's say, an Athern SD40-2, the old, you know, the black and and adding the Canon parts and the Detail West and Detail Associates and creating, you know, your own, you know, drilling out the fans and all this. It's, there is kind of an art to that. And I think, like I said, if you did research and you're, everybody kind of say, I'm going to model smaller so I don't need 30 engines. Let's have the 10, you know, five to 10 I need really well done and let me do them. I'll, you know, hey, I did this. I think that's part of an upgrade, things like that. You're losing us sponsors, buddy. These model railroad manufacturers <laughs> everybody to have 200 engines. Yeah, but think what Detail Associates will pay us now or something. I think. <laughs> are, they, are they still in business? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. Everybody's 3D printing everything anyway now. So There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you guys that there are so many facets to the hobby that the guy who wants to be the rivet counter or the build the locomotives or take stuff out of the box and run, you know, today I'm running this. I think there's room and for that, for all that. And I think that those all should be encouraged. Find your niche. You know, if you like to do the research, do that uh, and share your information, share the hobby with other, everybody else. Cause that's what the whole point of is, is to get someone else over, you know, we're like 12 year olds playing with our trains. We want to get more people over here to play with them. It's more fun. Yeah, that's, I think, the best part is when you get people over to run it. I mean, because you do all the work and stuff on it. And if you don't ever have people over to kind of put it through its paces and see, you know, I mean, that's, I just love it when I get people over and they're running the layout. It's just fun to see everybody, you know, kind of operating your vision or your dream or whatever you want to call it. But uh, that's good. Yeah, Mike, you have that great analogy about yours, right? Standing on the steps. Yeah, just, you know, the first 30 minutes are kind of chaotic, getting everybody organized and answering the questions. But then once it starts running there, you know, the questions drop off and I can just sit back on the stairs and watch the railroad run, you know, the way I designed it. And that's, you know, that's terrifying when you first set up operations. Is it going to work? And two, are people going to have fun? And it's nice when both happen. I always think of, I mean, the most entertaining thing is the next day. Like you have people over, <laughs> you know, for a night session or whatever, <laughs> seven to 10, whatever. Okay. everybody's has a, has a fun time. Okay. And then you go down the following morning and you look and you're like, how the heck did this thing get over here? What's that doing over <laughs> here? 
<laughs> who, who the heck did this? You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of just just as entertaining as the op session. You know, right. you miss all that or, going on because you're running around answering questions, and then the next oh, absolutely. Like, oh. So that, that's fun. Where yeah. did the uncoupling picks end up? Is what <laughs> I, I look at. Yeah. Every little uncoupling pick box has two in it when I start the session, and the next day when I go down and look at them, or that afternoon when I'm restaging, I look at them and say, "Huh." There's 19 of them in this spot, and <laughs> the rest of the boxes are empty. What's going on? Yeah, but do you change because of that? I mean, have you said, like, maybe this is where they all go, or this is where I need to move them? No, I think that what happens is the crews get together and decide how to screw with me at the end, you know, before the <laughs> session's over. We're not, that, we're not that smart. We're still eyeing up the donuts. <laughs> but, no, I, I agree. It's kind of fun. Even, you know, even here I'll look at things I'm like, why, why are there loaded ore cars in the empty track? You know, why are, why are there great northern no cars stuff. up at the mines? You know, and I'm like, okay. Well, I always get a kick out of it when you've got an industry that's got one, like, loading door for a boxcar on a spur. And a person sets a car off there, and it's, like, 50 feet down from <laughs> where the loading door is on the spurs where they spot it. And then, you know, you go down there the next day, it's like, Okay, this is uh, making a whole lot of sense to somebody, but <laughs> you know, just funny things like that when you just see how where things end up and where they people spot cars and what they do or whatever the thoughts were. It's just kind of entertaining. So, one more thing before we finish up here, I'm going to ask you guys: Would you change your DCC? I know we all have Digitrax because I think that's what all our neighbors have. You know, in the Twin Cities is Digitrax heavy, but now with the advent of Bluetooth would you change to something different or stick with what you know? I think the only thing I'd change is probably go to cordless throttles, keep the Digitrax, but go to cordless. Okay. I like my simplex system. It works good. I haven't had any issues with it. I know a lot of people that use duplex. It's, they seem to have more issues over time, I guess. I don't know, but mine's been good. I wouldn't change what I have. I mean, I know you can't get things for it anymore. I guess what, what works, you know, stick with it. I would keep with my Digitrax system. I'm fine with Digitrax. I've done a little bit of work with NCE in there. That's also fine. What I really have started to like is the um, Wi-Fi throttles where you can use your phone. I think that's pretty cool, although I'm a little careful with my $650 throttler, whatever a phone costs. And then the, the really new Wi-Fi throttles that is it TCS has one out, I think. Um, a couple of the guys in the Twin Cities have picked those up and let me use them, and that, those are really nice. So I, that kind of, to me, is the way it's going it, to – that seems like the logical next step. I like to use the throttles that actually have a knob on them. I'm not a big fan of, you know, running your finger like on a phone up or down for speed dial. I like turning a knob, but that's just my personal preference. But uh, that's why I wouldn't want to use a phone throttle per se just because you're kind of limited in that respect. But Well, that's what you're using you're here buddy yeah that's the tactile that mike jordan talks about because i know dan dosa says that too and i think that's where like the tcs or even with dave zoon as in yeah dave yep you know because even like the new digitrax throttles i have with these ut6ds are beautiful but they still put a switch on the top you know yeah a direction switch because mod because guys want i mean that could have been a push button instead of this Easily yeah. breakable switch, but modelers wanted that click, you know, to go back and forth. Well, I also like the set it off thing. Right. 
the braking and things on there. So yeah. It has that. yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll go around the horn here and we'll talk about what advice would you give someone they're starting over? You know, they're looking at their layout and go, this isn't working or I just want to change or I want to do something. What advice would you give them? I'll start with you, Ken. Well, if you're starting over, I guess, uh, you know, depending on your, your uh, age and your space and stuff, you know, don't bite off more than you th- you're going to finish, you know, because it's nice to be able to complete something and, you know, at least get to a stage where it's, you know, operational and it's got some scenery on it. it, it if you say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to model from, uh, you know, Chicago to Los Angeles and you're going to be, it's a, you know, it's a 30 year project that you'll never, never get, get done. It's kind of hard to get motivated when, you know, it's like a, something you'll probably never finish. If that's advice at all, it's probably not. I think that's decent advice. That's Just pay no attention to the person in the yeah. lower right-hand portion. Of the right. Screen. Yeah. <laughs> no, I like that. I've, I've always told people that larger isn't better. And I even joke with this with, with Ray or not about people and, and Dan Dosa, we talk about this, people will get bored with their layout. And so they'll just tear it down and build a bigger version of it. And I'm like, mm. no, as we all talk about operations, pretty much yeah. saves your layout. It keeps it right. interesting. So I think, I think that's good advice to think of your, you know, the size spaces. You don't have to make it bigger. And like you said, we can even make it modular. So Joe, what would you? I have two prongs up to this. One of them is, at least to try operations on a local layout, assuming there is one there, so you can you know figure out the play factor. And then the other one is once you figure out what you want to do, find a little, you know, do do some research so you can do the best job you can do, right? But figure out what you want to do and and figure out the nuances, not the nuisances. Right. I, I think research is a big one because. You know, it's like, it was, oh, you have to research the prototype. But if you're having a railroad of lies like mine, I still do research into the movement and switching of iron ore. And you can do the same with coal, you know, or lumber or perishables. Is like, okay, I don't really have a prototype uh, railroad I'm picking after, but I want to model the correct applications or how they moved these perishable products, loaded them, iced them, moved them across the country and sold them. I think you can do research if it's not on the Baltimore, Ohio in 1945, you can realize, okay, let's look at how they moved coal in 1945 on the East Coast. So I, I, I agree. Research will help you design a much better new new layout space. And Mr. Jordan, what do you think? I think the best advice I got, and I'm going to pass it on as mine, is build a railroad that you can maintain yourself. Because if you go from Chicago to L.A., there's a lot of maintenance. I think that was the best advice, was just build a railroad that you can maintain and keep the engines and the cars rolling. I think that that's really good. I think a lot of people have toned down their layout because of that. They've gone from huge layouts to branch lines to just one branch line because I like I can maintain it and things. So, so here's the points I think at the end are research. You know, do your research on the prototype or on the movement of cars. Redo what works. If you've had a layout and you're like, okay, this works, 
I'm going to stick with that. And your upgrades with better equipment, car cards, better track, your track and wiring, and then think outside the box. You know, maybe you get stuck in something, hand your track plan or layout design to someone else and have a different set of eyes look at it. And best of all, larger doesn't mean better. You know, you don't have to have the complete basement filled to have a really nice layout, a really fun one to operate and one that you can easily clean, maintain, showcase. So I thank you guys. Thanks for another uh, fun chat. And with that, I guess we'll all say uh, good night. All righty. Good night, Gracie. Good night. Good night. Wake up, Joe. Nope. Wake up. Joe, wake up. Huh? There you are. What? 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 <laughs> say it again. <laughs> Say it again. Good night. Okay. You've been listening to The Crossing Game, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts. All right, welcome to another episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast. Today I'm joined, joined, well, so much for that. Welcome to another episode. <laughs> Can't even get through the first sentence. That's how bad we are at this. Well, day drinking. Yeah, day, it's called day drinking. <laughs> well, somebody has somebody has to, somebody might as well be you. So. If I did it over, probably I'd, I'd keep the produce part, but I'd make it the railroad of lies like Tom, so I could just... <laughs> Make crap up and yeah, <laughs> yeah. No one could dispute it. You know. Well, there's two of them that have re- that have removable tops because there is no access from underneath. And I always tell people if you think you got a car off the track, don't drag it through the tunnel because I don't feel like pulling the top of the mountain off and having to fix the trees that are going to get damaged in the process and all that stuff. Okay, great. Well, of course, you know somebody. Drag something through a tunnel and it came off the track. Oh, great. Okay. So we, so we uh, pulled the top off and I found another six hopper cars in there that I didn't even know were in there. I don't know how many years <laughs> they were in there. <laughs> There's a whole train in here. An old train in there. Engines. This wedding ring. And I didn't even realize they were missing. So it was kind of funny. As I get my foot untangled from my stupid foam down here. Stupid foam. Stupid, stupid trains, stupid end scale trains. <laughs> stupid podcast. <laughs> I love the Friday. I don't know why. Okay, I got to try that again. It's a lot for one sentence here. So don't worry about all the pack. <laughs> I have not been drinking. So. <laughs> oh, I don't drink. I eat. I don't drink.